Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. Saturday. Saturday. Are you... <laughs> See, you actually know, I, I told Robert right before we were about to recording, I'm out of espresso beans, and so I held up a can of sugar-free Red Bull. So that's the type of episode we're going to get into, but I Back am Back to your QC stoked. days. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, I used to order by the case. That was like that was like a community thing, though. Like, everyone would rotate who bought the box, the oh, case yeah. of it, because have, all the QC, every, all the assistants- You have a joint problem when you're at, on the coaching staff. That's exactly right. You oh, guys all engage there's some, together. There's some crazy energy stuff people used to do. What's the stuff that the stuff they pour, they squirt into water? Like people have that that has like the caffeine stuff. I know guys Mio? that would squirt that into their Mio. Mio. Yeah. Yes. They would just squirt that into their mouth, like just mainline it. That's and disgusting. That, 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 was a, that was a step too far for me. I, I was espresso and a little bit of Red Bull during my QC days or when I'm prepping for a playoff podcast for the athletic football show. Because here we go. A lot of fun stuff to dig into today. I We have two games on Saturday. We're going to talk about both of those today. We're going to have a separate show breaking down the Sunday games. So right when we were prepping today, and I was looking at the schedule, I was like, oh, the Saturday games, that sounds good. And all week in my mind, I've been like, oh, I've, I'm going to dinner with friends on Saturday. Like these, my friends, they have a baby and you know, you have to plan around it. Yeah. And I at one point today, I was like, you can't go to dinner on Saturday. Like I, I'm working on Saturday. That's just how deep into it. I mean, I, this was a month and a half ago before yeah. there were football games on Saturday. So right. at a certain point, when you get into the season, the forest and the trees, they all become a pretty big blur. So that's where we it's are mild. right now. So we're going to try to kind of get a handle on all of this as we dig into yes. both of these games. Two very good games. So let's start yeah. with Jags Chiefs. We're just going to go in chronological order here. The Jacksonville Jaguars are playing in the divisional round. I, I think that's my first yeah. thought here, looking at this game and just talking about kind of how we got here. And this was a team that I think we were both relatively optimistic about heading into mm-hmm. the year in the sense that you thought they were a dark horse to win the AFC South. You know, we thought that Trevor, because of the underlying aspects of his game last year, could take a big step forward. Mm-hmm. But I want to go back and just think about how we were talking about this team even early last year, early in 2022, when Doug Peterson was hired as their head coach, I don't think anyone thought, oh, what a coup for the Jags. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe they got Doug Peterson out of all of these coaching candidates out of this current pool. Doug Peterson might have been their second choice after the Broncos went and snagged up Nathaniel Hackett. He wasn't considered this no-brainer. He's going to be an unmitigated success. Like The Jags weren't that attractive of a destination. And I think what he has done with that team, with that offense, and even if they're a heavy underdog this week, and even if this is where it ends for them in 2022 or the 2022 season, the line is pointed so far up based on what you've seen from him and from Trevor this year. Absolutely. And 
the Trevor aspect was I figured over time it would work out as long as the situation stayed non-Urban Meyerish, and as long as it came became somewhat normal. And when Doug got hired, Doug Peterson got hired. That's kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of just how I felt. That that's fine. Okay, offensive coach. All right, I, I, I'm fine with that. Even if maybe in Philly, I didn't, you know, some of the stuff felt a little too gimmicky. And this is just me a year ago, the, how I thought about Doug Peterson. Turns out maybe that was quarterback led with how they ran but that offense. It's hard offense to do that sometimes. It's hard to it's be like, so all right, hard. how much of it was Wentz and how much of it was Doug yeah. Peterson? And then, you know, last couple of years, that offense were pretty ugly. But then you look at what happened with Wentz since, and then you look yes. at what Doug is doing now. And then I think it's easy to yep. look back and say, for an entire season, Carson Wentz was the MVP front runner before he got hurt in 2017. Yeah. Doug Peterson oversaw an offense that made Carson Wentz into the MVP front runner, and then he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And what yes. happened in that a couple of years after, obviously, was messy, and there was yep. a pretty ugly divorce, and you know there were power mm-hmm. struggles, and a million different things we can relitigate. But I think that what we've learned this year is that Doug Peterson is a pretty darn good football coach. And yes, my biggest takeaway when you look at both of these teams is that this game is just a reminder of how crucial it is, whether it's your first season as a starter, your second season as a starter, to make sure that you pair your young quarterback with the right situation and the right play caller. Because now that you have this Peterson-Trevor Lawrence partnership in Jacksonville, I think everyone's rightfully very excited about that. And then we've seen what that sort of partnership can rot in Kansas City over the last five years, yeah. creating the best offense in football. And that's what everyone has said with Andy Reid Andy Reed and uh, Patrick Mahomes. They'll have quotes. I think Chad Henney had a quote before they won the Super Bowl. They did a whole blowout article about how Andy Reid and Mahomes are kind of muses for each other and how they kind of almost like they see the game the same way. And that leads to a lot of their creativity and what they want to attack and all that. I think that's what's going on with Trevor and Doug. You can see they commu- they communicate a lot. Doug Pearson used to play quarterback. Yeah. That helps a lot. Just having a guy that's played NFL quarterback is a huge advantage to have in your room. Especially when somebody that actually knows how to use their experience, you know, mostly as a backup and everything of that sort and going, hey, you have to get through, go through it this way. And also understanding players make plays sometimes and players ad lib sometimes like the the QB sneak Trevor Lawrence had. He just told uh, for the two point was totally on him. And Doug's not coming out and going like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. He's like, no, players, players see things and players make plays. He understands how the NFL works. That's really helpful for having a guy have confidence coming from college, you know. Now all these guys have NFL experience, have watched the game and understand it. It matters so much, but I want to give Doug his flowers so much with how this offense, this Jaguars offense has looked. And and this is going to be a theme for a couple of teams we talk about over these couple of shows is just understanding the personnel. And the guy I always come back to is Evan Ingram. And that's because when they signed Evan Ingram, I was like, he can't really catch. He's a vertical only guy. He can't really block. And then he goes with Jacksonville and he's been wonderful. And how Doug Peterson uses him is wonderful. He uses him as a horizontal stretcher, not just a vertical guy. You would get him in the yak opportunities, using him as the bubble guy. Like when they run bubble screens, they're using Evan Ingram, the tight end as the guy. There's not a lot of teams that do that. Kelsey's one with the chiefs, but not a lot of teams do that. But understanding, hey, this guy has some strengths and not some weaknesses. I'm not going to have him block a D end every play. I'll have him on the move. Just that's what Doug Peterson is. It's just understanding what his players are. I'm only going to have Christian Kirk in the slot. I'm not going to try the outside stuff. Getting these guys in the proper spots and using them well, that's good coaching. And that's what Doug Peterson is. 
I think it's we're gonna have a similar conversation about the Chiefs. You know, coming into the year, the Jags, even if you're optimistic about them, maybe they win the AFC South. But their offense has been better than anybody could have anticipated. It's been a yeah. true top ten offense. Evan Ingram has been better. Christian Kirk is somebody that a lot of people scoffed at that contract, and we'll see what it looks like yep. in the long term. But he's been really central to their success when he's been kind of a centerpiece of an NFL passing game the way that he is. I mean, they when they need an explosive play down the field, they have to build it through Christian Kirk, and that's. Yes. Those deals, Chris Kirk has like a six and a half million dollar cap at this year. You know, you pay for that deal in year two and year three when those guarantees linger. But in the short term, it has been very beneficial for them. And yes. I think we can have the same kind of revisionist history or hindsight conversation about the Chiefs. The Chiefs weren't supposed to be the best offense in the NFL this season, according to most people. I know that you were very bullish on Mahomes, <laughs> but I think most people. We're not doing a live show, so no one can see my face right now. <laughs> I think most people assumed at the very least there would be a small step back yep. as they navigated this transition period after trading Tyreek Hill. And that's not that's what happened at all. And I'm guilty of this. There are times where I just forget to talk about the Chiefs because, and I forget to appreciate the Chiefs offense because in my mind it's like, oh, the Chiefs are just supposed to be good. But that wasn't right. the case this year. They weren't supposed to be this this year. They weren't supposed to be the unquestioned most efficient offense in the league. He wasn't supposed to be a runaway MVP favorite the way that he is. And I think that it's important to kind of step back and recognize that every once in a while because sometimes their greatness, it just feels kind of stagnant and it can beat you right. over the head for so long. But this is one of those moments and this is one of those seasons where it's, a, it's, it's important to me to appreciate just how great they've been because this wasn't supposed to be a guarantee. No, that's that's a great point. I was super op optimistic because I was betting on Andy Reid and number 15, Patrick Mahomes, and the offensive line. So it's usually what uh, kneecaps an offense that we have expectations for. I didn't see it there. That's really what it was. I was like, Mahomes is an all-timer. Andy Reid's an all-time play caller, and they have an offensive line. So that that was – I'm just going through my methodology for the preseason kind of takes. But I, I agree with you that sometimes we take it for granted the – the game that maybe sticks out for me, what, why I want to say this is the first time they played the Broncos um, this year. It was late in the season, and Mahomes had the three interceptions, and they were blowing the team out. They should have blown the doors off of them, and then it would be coming a close game. They have a lot of those, but they never, like, lose them. You know, yeah. they just – they always put up – you never see the offense. Even if you look statistically, we look at the advanced numbers a lot. You look at it, they never have that – Expected points, negative 14. Wow, they got bailed out by the defense in this game. The offense just churns along, stays efficient every game. Doesn't matter the opponent. Even their losses this year, they've had good games on offense. It was the Colts loss was a whole bunch of special teamers just punching themselves in the nuts and, and missing field goals and everything. Um, the Bills and the Bills and Bengals games. Well, yeah, those are two of the other elite teams this year. And those were coin flip games that they were in it. The offense still played well against the Bengals. They had one Kelsey fumble. And then that last uh, third down that led to the missed, uh, missed field goal. Not a lot of blemishes, but that's what greatness is. And that's what this Chiefs offense has been. And sometimes I take it for granted, but they're amazing to watch. I love watching Patrick Mahomes every week. And I love how Andy Reid uses these guys as well. And it's funny because Doug Peterson is an Andy Reid guy. So it's kind of kind of fun. Like there, There's some mirror images with these offenses and these teams a little bit. And maybe just not the plays exactly they run, but maybe the philosophy. Of, of their teams. Yeah. And that relationship and how that relationship drives their yes. success so far. Obviously, with Mahomes, it's been five years and a Super Bowl and multiple MVPs. Right. But there are kernels of it with what you're seeing with Trevor and Doug Peterson so far. All right. Absolutely. Let's get into the nitty gritty here. The number thing you're looking for when the Jags have the ball in this game. 
man, can they protect that? Can they pass protect? That is number one thing for me. Uh, and why, why the pass protection is such a key thing is this last game against the chargers, the Jaguars offense. I originally was saying that the running backs and Travis Etienne has improved as a pass protector, but his eyes aren't always great. His stoutness isn't always great. He's a great player, but that's just not the strength of his game. But also their interior of the offensive line got fooled a couple times by the Chargers and their simulated pressures. Um, the fourth down interception is the one I come back to. Trevor had to get rid of it a hair quicker than he wanted to because they brought a simulated pressure and the right guard missed it. And that matters because they're going against this guy named Steve Spagnola who loves throwing junk pitches and throwing funky looks and and ways to get after quarterbacks and protections, especially in the playoffs. So that is the number one thing I'm looking at is how they protect Trevor, how they can get some balls off down the field. I think the Jaguars offense does do a good job of mitigating some pressures with a lot of screens, a lot of quick passes, side to side stuff. I mentioned the Evan Ingram bubble stuff. That's a great example of one. Um, some jet sweep stuff. So just some funky stuff of their own. So that is something that I'm very, I'm honed in on. If they can protect, they can maybe get after his chief's defense a little bit. The Evan Ingram part of this, how fast they get the ball in his hands, the ways they get the ball in his hands. One of their biggest chunk plays against the Chargers last week was that those one by three formations they've been using a lot of where Ingram yeah. would be isolated as the single receiver, him just running a crossing route and the other side just cleared out. We were getting him the ball in space and just letting him run and having a tight yeah. end in that spot and being able to create that sort of yak and having him be arguably your most explosive player just isn't an option that a lot of other teams have. So I think that's right. a huge part of this game. And I mean, it's how they attack the zone stuff outside of the blitzes. You know, to me is interesting. Last time these two teams played, there were some opportunities on the field for the Jags. Trevor missed a couple throws in this game. You know, there was a deep shot to Kirk where they kind of had him isolated against Juan Thornhill in zone that wasn't a bad throw, but I think better placement. He, Kirk has a chance to make a play on that ball. There was a whole shot to Evan Ingram that Lawrence missed, and he's just been better. The ball placement has been better, <laughs> right. you know, for most of the second half of the season. And so I think there will be throws on the field to be had, but how they deal with the blitzes is going to be a huge question. The Chiefs yes. brought pressure on 33% of the Jags early downs, early downs. The first early time downs. these two teams played. I have a third fourth. And they played a lot of <laughs> yeah. man behind it, which was interesting. You know, they played a lot of, mm. when they blitzed on later downs, there was a lot of zone. And when they blitzed on earlier downs, there's a lot of man. So it's hard to kind of pin down or get a beat right. on exactly what they were doing. But how do they deal with pressure? And then how they flood the zones and how they you know, use some of those three by one formations to flood zones. And then the other yeah. thing they did in that first game, nine empty dropbacks. And so they leaned into that a little bit, I assume, just to get Spags out of some of those pressure looks and just declare yep. them. Make so I wouldn't yes. be surprised <laughs> if we saw a decent amount of those as well. Nope, that's a great call. And I, I think also the other thing is, you know, how they block Chris Jones yeah. <laughs> is a is a big thing. Um, but, you know, the slot, what I think has been interesting with the Chiefs defense is they've changed who's their slot player with mm-hmm. uh, Trent McDuffie coming back and being healthy. And the domino effect that of that is uh, Sneed is now backed on the outside. I think they said, okay, we're going to try and get our better players onto the field rather than our day three rookie out there. <laughs> Let's get Sneed, who's our best corner. Uh, but I also think the other domino effect of that is on first and second down is instead of Sneed being this blitz happy monster that they love bringing off the slot over and over is now they've had Justin Reed coming from the safety spot on first and second down as a blitzer. And that just changes the picture behind it because it sounds, uh, you look at it, you're like, oh, it's a DB blitzing. What, what's the difference? Well, a safety in a slot is way different as far as picture, as far as pointing. It's still going to usually have the running back in a bind, 
but his eyes have to be totally different. Usually in the slot, your eyes kind of go there. When all of a sudden the safety's creeping down, you're like, oh, it's cover three. We're good. Or it's man coverage. He's on the tight end. And that guy comes off the edge. That can really get running backs in a bind. And so I'm curious if they lean into that a few times. And like I said, trying to get ETN and work on his eyes. Um, the other thing is you brought up, Ingram, going side to side. Him and ETN, I, I want to see the Chiefs tackle. No, that last year, that was a big thing with this Chiefs defense. I made fun of it a million times. I did Twitch streams where I joked about it. And I th- thought that's why they signed Justin Reed is they wanted better tacklers. They got, they got to show it. Had a couple games where they missed tackles, especially against the Bengals. It's a key playoff game. How do they tackle these two guys that could be yak monsters against them? All right, let's get to the other side of the ball, which I personally find more interesting, just based on the first matchup and some of the things they did. I'm, I'm very excited to see what the Jags' plan is here. So what is the number one thing you're looking for when the Chiefs have the ball? I'm going to see which wrestling hold Andy Reid puts Devin Lloyd in. Is it going to be the walls of Jericho? Is it going to be the mandible claw? Is it going to be the sharpshooter? Uh, I think Andy Reid is one of the best at getting guys, putting guys in binds and messing with uh, defenders' eyes. Um, it helps also when you have number 15. But even before he had Patrick Mahomes, he was really good at this with Alex Smith and in his Eagles days as well. Uh the Jaguars are, I mean, there's two stats I have here, but one I want to start with is how much play action the Chiefs used in the first matchup mm-hmm. between these two teams. They ran at 14 play actions, dropbacks, which is pretty significant. 10 of those 14 were successful plays for the Chiefs, four explosive plays, and mostly out of 11 personnel, which it will be, we'll talk about in a sec, but mostly out of these 11 spreadier looks. And that's the Jaguars have some stoutness when they're in heavy. The other thing, the other uh, thing I want to bring up is the Jaguars are terrible, terrible defending tight ends. The worst in the league by far. Um, low success rate, uh, tight end targets. They're 38% success rate compared to the league average of 50. Pretty significant. Um, and it's because they like to lean into man coverage, two man or robber. And when you do that, you put a linebacker on a tight end. And Foy is very good against the run. Devin Lloyd. Is he's figuring it out. He's figuring out the NFL. <laughs> and so he has some issues when he has to guard a tight end and with his eyes. So I think that's where they get put in a bind. And what stinks with that is they're going against this guy named Travis Kelsey, uh, who's 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 pretty good. I don't know if people know that. So th- the difference is when you're playing versions of man coverage, if you're playing yeah. like one hole where the linebacker yes. is the hole player, you have two guys in zone that aren't manned up on anybody. When you're playing one robber, you have the free safety who's in the post playing. That's the That's no. the one part. And then the robber is another safety who's not manned up on anyone. And then in two-man, your two safeties are not manned up on anyone. So in typical yeah. cover one, at least one linebacker is not going to be responsible in man coverage for someone. Yes. So that's the yeah, that's this, the why that's different. If if you go one hole, this is the safety covers the tight end, typically. Safety covers the Y. Two linebackers, they banjo, quote unquote, the running back. One guy covers the running back, the other guy that doesn't cover the running back has the middle coverage. Robber safety is now that whole player but what that makes it do is the linebacker has to cover the tight end now so that's that's why there's a difference because of what they prefer to run so the other 11 personnel stat that i thought was important is that the chiefs ran the ball out of 11 in this game i think they saw something where we want to spread them out we think we can take advantage of them and they could so in this game last time these two teams played in week 10 13 carries for 71 yards on running back runs out of 11 they only That's... ran the ball out of a heavy personnel four times. And then mm-hmm. overall, they had 15 carries for 140, 104 yards on non-scrambles because they had that one to Tony. They had a couple jet plays in this game that yep. they got chunks on. So they ran the yep. ball very efficiently from 11 personnel in this game. 
Yeah. And that, that, those jet sweeps tying with the linebackers, that, that's another thing to mess with linebacker eyes is jet sweeps. And that makes sense. And this is the game they started cranking up Tony. Um, and Darius Tony is dynamic as all get out, but he's not the most polished player. He's a little ball of chaos, but he has, uh, I did that stat of Jamal Agnew has the highest, you know, touches or, uh, targets, uh, per snap. Tony's ninth in the NFL. When he's on the field, they're getting him the ball. And so they're trying to get him the ball because he is that dynamic. Uh, no, the 11 personnel stuff and why why that matters too is the Chiefs have really leaned into their three tight end looks. They have Blake Bell back now too, who's a great blocker. But against this Jags team, the Jags are good out of base. They they have Josh Allen on the outside, uh, Trevon Walker on the outside. They set the edge. They use that term that you probably hear people say. They set the edge and don't let anything get on outside. They funnel everything on the inside where, you know, the linebacker stuff and a little stoutness really helps. So I think the Chiefs are like, we're not banging our head against the wall. So I think you're going to see a lot of receiver looks in this game, as opposed to a lot of the tight end looks that we've seen a lot of the Chiefs this year. One of the big Pacheco runs out of 11 personnel, the outside corner that they made tackle on that play was Monteric Brown. One more thing to point out is that the Jags defense has undergone a shift with their personnel the last time these two teams played. So now, instead of having Brown or Trey Herndon on the outside as your second outside corner, We've talked about this. Darius Williams is now in there, and Trey Herndon mm-hmm. is in the slot. So that they got 35 snaps combined from Monteric Brown and Trey Herndon as an outside cornerback in the first matchup. So that will change okay. now, and I think that's worth yes. pointing out. The other, my the thing I'm watching for most on this side, do the Jags go with a similar game plan to the one they used defensively in Week 10? The Jags run a decent amount of man coverage. They blitz at a league average rate. They played 35% cover two in Week 10. It was their highest mark of the entire season. They only played it on more than a quarter of their snaps in two games. One was against the Chargers in week three, and then this game against the Chiefs in week 10. And it was interesting to watch the game plan because it felt like the sort of game plan you'd see against the Chiefs in the first half of the 2021 season, where they blitzed two times the entire game, and they played a ton of cover two. And the thing is, Mahomes is fine playing like that. If you want to make us play like this, we're more than comfortable doing it. And they just sliced and diced them. I mean, they had no answers for the Chiefs in this game. Kansas City averaged 7.84 yards per play, which was (laughs) their second highest number of the entire season. That's What what was number one? Do you know? It was the the, Cardinals game. It was the Niners. It was the Niners. It was like nine yards a play. They destroyed the Niners. A game we should probably talk about at some point. Yeah, it's like what the hell happened there? It's obviously been a while, but every time I see some stats associated with that game, I was like, what the hell happened in that game? So, but the twelfth highest mark of the entire season in yards per play was the Jags or the Chiefs against the Jags in Week Ten. So I have to assume they'll do a little bit something different. And the one stat I think that was the most damning is that when they played Cover Two. Mahomes' time to throw was over three seconds. So when they were playing two and playing soft and not bringing any pressure, he was just sitting there in the pocket. They got no pass rush for the first 90% of this game, which we can talk about here in a second. And there were a couple plays early on where they showed the Chiefs did a ton of motion in this game. Mm -hmm. Simple stuff. Motion three by one to two by two, sends a guy across formation, a little yo-yo motion just to get a man zone tell. That was it. And one of the only plays I saw where they sent a guy in motion, but then they played zone, Mahomes had a problem with it. And then mm-hmm. there was a play, I think on the same drive, where they sent a simulated pressure and Devin Lloyd was untouched. So not blitzing, but still kind of changing the picture a little bit. And that created problems on both of those plays. So I just think they have to 
not sit back in those soft zone coverages and because Mahomes is going to pick you apart and you have to change the picture on him. This idea of as long as we keep everything in front of us, we'll be fine. I just don't think that's true against this team in the same way it's true against other teams because he's more than comfortable living that way now. Like this isn't Absolutely. 2020. No, no, he, he's already evolved. <laughs> he's already moved past this. He's Charizard now. He's not Charmander. The, the, but like going against uh, Herbert last week, the Jaguars defense, I think they have to take a page from that. And and when that look, they just changed up their looks a ton. Cover two, three buzz, robber, five-man rushes, uh, changing who's coming on those five-man rushes, plus the simulated, like you talked about, but a lot of late rotations. They did it against Herbert, made him hesitate a little bit. I think you have to. The other thing that the Jaguars did this last week and, and was – because if you look at the Chargers' weapons, you kind of go, all right, who scares me? Well, Keenan Allen does. Austin Eckler do. All right, how do we take him out? What the Jaguars did is they ran one double on on Keenan Allen. That's like the coverage of the year, by the way. It's one double. It's it's uh, teams have run it before, but it's like how much I've seen this year. It, it, we've seen is ridiculous. But they one doubled Keenan Allen. I think they do that against Travis Kelsey a little bit, maybe a couple snaps of it, and make other guys beat you. Uh, so I what think one double means be- is you're playing cover one man, but you're doubling yeah. yes. one player. Yeah. So when we say robber and that robber player who's sitting in the middle, that robber player instead is doubling <laughs> on one guy there's different rules that play off of that but what it forces to do like what the patriots have done with that the year for years is they have their second best corner doubling with somebody and then they put their first corner on somebody else uh kind of like a, a best of both worlds type of situation so curious if the jaguars lean into that because i could see that i could see that being a good way of taking away the number one weapon and making mvs beat you tony sky Moore, any of these guys juju smith schuster and making them live that way I thought some of the toughest throws Mahomes had to make in that first game were against man coverage on third and medium to third and short. And mm-hmm. Andre Sisco was bringing the wood as the post oh safety. God. I mean, he had a couple big shots on third down. Legal <laughs> yes. legal shots. They picked up a flag yep. where he's they're making Mahomes make a throw into a tight window and he made a play on the ball. And those are some of the most difficult plays the Chiefs had to make in that game, but they didn't play much man coverage. 16.7% man coverage for the Jags in this game. That's the third low and What's interesting about that is the Chiefs have seen a ton of man this year. They've seen some yes. of the man at the highest rates in the NFL. So that's 16.7% for the Jags, the third lowest rate the Chiefs saw in a game this season. The only teams to play less man were the Bucks, which that's interesting because you have a yeah. you share a tree there with where Caldwell yeah. comes from and then the Rams. Yeah. That's it. They played yeah, one snap of man coverage on early downs in this game the Jags did. I have to assume maybe they mix it up with a little bit more of that in this one. Yeah, and they shredded the Rams like that that game too. So I know. No, I I think you have to. You have to. I think it's a a mixture of what they did against Mahomes the first time and what they showed Herbert last week. I I can. That's what I think their philosophy is going to be. I think they just throw the kitchen sink. I I think you you have to. I think so too. All right, your X factor for this game. My X factor is Travis Etienne, and I've mentioned his name a few times already, but not only as a rusher and a receiver um, and ripping off explosive plays, because I think that's what you, you have to. The, Spags, that's how Spags lives. Steve Spagnuolo, the defense coordinator for the Chiefs, is gash or be gashed. He is, he's willing to tr- live in that world. Etienne is a guy that can make him punish it for it, whether it's a screen, a check down, a designed route, or running the ball onto the outside, but also as a pass protector, because I think they, they're going to test him. He's put it on film. I've said it multiple times this year. I think they watch tape too. I think they're going to test him a few times as a pass protector. If he holds up a couple times, there's gashes to be had. 
That's a really good one. And get him the ball in space. If they want to run some screens yep. to him into all the pressures, I think that makes total sense. I'm going yep. with Josh Allen because yeah. if they're not going to blitz, they need their front four to create pressure. And that has been one of the biggest differences about the Jags defense over the last month of the season compared to at times yeah. this year. Trayvon Walker's been better. Even without Dwayne Smoot yes. in there, I think they've gotten more pressure and they've gotten after the quarterback a little bit better. And can Josh Allen have a decent game against Andrew Wiley? Like those are the sorts yeah. of matchups you have to win if you're the Jags, especially if you're not going to bring extra bodies. Yeah. And man, I, I want to commend how that Jags defense played against Chargers and, and battling in that game. Like they made it tough on that Chargers team, especially in the second half. It's not, they're not perfect. Don't get me wrong, but they're not a pushover unit. They can make it up really hard on you. Like I said before, you can't get, you can't bully them if you get into base personnel. Like you can't. That's, that's usually a nice, easy card offenses can play. And that's something the Chiefs have done this year to make it easy on themselves. So taking that away is interesting to me. And if they can funky up the looks on the passing stuff, it, it, it's interesting. All right. What happens in this one? <laughs> I, I think the Chiefs pull out the victory. I do think the Jags keep it close. I, I, I think this game, the Chiefs, they play with their food sometimes. I know it's the playoffs, but that's just how th- th- that team goes a little bit. They're not going to be able to milk the clock. They Again, that bully ball stuff. I think my final score is Chiefs win, but don't cover. The spread's eight and a half. I think it's a 27-20 type game. Uh, That'd be uh, for, great. I would love if this yeah. was like a back and forth entertaining game. And I think I it has the makings of that. One turnover on each side, you know, just kind of like a big defensive play on each side. Because I think that's what's going to happen. I think there's some aggression on both sides. So that leads to fireworks usually. I, I think we're on the same page. I, I think that the Jags yeah. can keep it close. I do think that if they throw more junk pitches on defense that gives them a much yeah. better shot. But I think that ultimately yep. Mahomes is just too much because yeah. it, it's still a Jaguars defense that doesn't have a ton of elite players in the back seven. I mean, Tyson Campbell's had a really nice season, but other than that, yes. I think that you're still going to have a Mahomes and a Kelsey to take advantage of, especially at the second level guys. So, all right. Yeah. I think we're on. I'm the betting same Kelsey overs. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
All right. Next one here. Eagles, Giants. As I sit here and think about the matchup, I think my biggest point of emphasis or takeaway or the thing that's on my mind is just that when we have these new regimes places or when we have ownership looking for coaches and what you want to build, these two examples to me are the shining light over the last two years where mm-hmm. you have these coaches come in. There's a lot of similarities between the two. Okay. Brian Dable, play calling head coach or was an offensive play caller, was an offensive coordinator. That's how he made his money. He comes in and he says, you know what? I'm going to get play calling off. I'm going to be somebody who oversees the entire building, who does the head coaching stuff. I'm going to let Mike Kafka call this. Very similar to what happened with the Eagles. It didn't happen at the start of Nick Sirianni's first season, but they eventually came to that conclusion six weeks into yep. year one, gave it to Shane Steichen, and I think it has made a world of difference. It's been wonderful since. <laughs> and what we talked about with – we talked about this with the Giants when we were talking about Brian Dable as potentially the coach of the year on our award show. The self-awareness to do that I think yes. is really important. I think both of these coaches have shown that. And then on the offensive side of the ball specifically – the malleability and flexibility that they have both shown over the last year to build offenses specifically through the strengths of their players and kind of mm-hmm. let them run with it has been remarkable. I mean, what the yeah. Eagles have done from year one to year two after trading for A.J. Brown, after de- watching Jalen Hurts' development, and then you compare that to what the Giants have done around Daniel Jones with – this very strange hodgepodge of skill position talent that they have. I just think that hallmark of offensive flexibility and uh, the willingness to kind of shape your team around your players. I want, if I have a, if I'm hiring a play calling offensive coach or an offensive coach in general, that's what I want to hear him say in, a, in an interview. I want tangible yep. evidence of your ability to shape your offense around your players. And I think that's what both of these coaches have done. Absolutely. They understand the ingredients they've been given. Yeah. As chefs, as cooks, they're not they're not going complaining, looking at their ingredients and go, "Oh, I got salt and pepper." Like, well, you can do a lot of salt and pepper, but I want some garlic. Dable powder, and Kafka you know, would I, fucking I, crush chopped. Like they would just be incredible <laughs> at it. <laughs> they would though. Like, but that's the thing; they don't complain about it. They they it's very streamlined, and that's a compliment I've given the Eagles' offense, and and also I want to give the Giants' offense too. And we'll talk about it in a sec, but just streamlined and no fat. Like they, it's nothing. I don't want to say gimmick like a gadget play, but they're not gimmicky. Like, yes, they do run gadget plays, especially the Giants, but it's they're not gimmicky. Everything's straight, like good sound football. Um, we talked about what the Giants, Giants last week, they're, they're, the game plan last week was just perfect. They had no fat with it. Let's just run a bunch of play actions and nickel and dime them underneath and run the ball a little bit. And none of the concepts were crazy. They just were like, this is the best answer. Let's do it until they take it away. I've never used this word before, but it is a word that I would use to describe both Brian Dable and Shane Steichen when talking about their philosophy and who they are as coaches, and that comes from conversations with both of them. Intuitive. They are intuitive coaches. And I say that because you just never see them fighting uphill against themselves. It's like, oh, this is going to work? Okay, I'll do that. And they're never trying to outsmart themselves. It's a simple presentation. It's a simple conclusion to a complex question very often for them. And I really appreciate that about the way that they go about this. And you can see it in the end result. 
This is a rematch, obviously, of the Week 14 game. Week 18 is whatever. The Giants didn't play <laughs> half their guys, and the Eagles clearly knew that they didn't Such have to get much to get weird there. weird rewatched game, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I watched four plays, and then I saw who the Giants had on defense. I was like, nope, I'm out. I'll see you guys later. Defensive lineman in the 70s. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm all set. Jalen Hurts had one designed run. Like, yeah. They're just they're hanging on for dear life just trying yeah. to get there, and that, it, that's exactly what it, it If you like. watch this Eagles real quick, you watch the Eagles offense, especially in the first half. Yeah, they they were they were coasting through it. They were zombie walking through it. They were taking turns busting in that game. And then the second half, they're like, okay, we got to lock in a little bit. So the week 14 game is the most applicable one in some ways, right? So yeah. the Eagles blow them out, 48 to 22. You think, okay, why is this going to be different now that the game matters again? And here's where I would start that argument. This is the best Giants team, the best version of this Giants team, I think, that we've seen all season mm-hmm. right now. And that's what's funny about the Giants is that there were times in the first half of the year where I didn't think they were dangerous. Right. I thought that they were fun. I thought that some of the stuff they were doing on offense was really yeah. innovative. But yeah. it was like, ah, what are they really going to do? But now this is a team that the offense has been very good recently. You know, They've been a top 10 offense. I think that they're, they present problems. I think that they're still going to have that's a hard time against the Eagles, but they present problems. And the, their defense is really what struggled over the second half of the year. And their defense is now healthier than mm-hmm. it's been all season. So last week, that was the first time since week 11 that Adoree Jackson, Xavier McKinney, and Leonard Williams have been on the field together at the same time. It's important. They have dealt with so many injuries, especially on the back end. You go back and you watch that week 14 game, and you think, all right, why would this be different? Right. Nick McLeod was their other outside corner. In that game. Now Adoree Jackson is back. Okay. Jason Pinnock was playing a ton of snaps for them at Mm -hmm. safety in week 14. Now Xavier McKinney is back. The entire front is back and the front is playing better than it was over the first half of the season when all those guys were healthy. Kayvon Thibodeau had 23 of his 48 pressures from week 12 on this season. That's it feels that way too. When you watch him, it's like he, a light, a little bit of light bulb came on for him a little bit. So that front, that they had last week against the Vikings. The Vikings offensive line is not the Eagles offensive line, but that's the best that group played all year. Yeah. They had 20 pressures in that game. So if you're trying to build a case for why this is going to be more competitive than the week 14 game, I think the version of the Giants defense that we're seeing personnel-wise is probably the first thing that I would mention. Yeah, and honestly, it's a combination. It's that personnel coming back and what they kind of hinted at and how they played in that week 18 matchup, even though we so said let's throw dig it away. Into it. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just go Giants defense, Eagles offense is what they hinted at in that game is uh, they blitzed the crap out of them, especially out of empty. Um, the Giants were willing to challenge them. I, the thing I noticed too, and I, like I said before, the Eagles were kind of sleepwalking a little bit in this game, but it, it was notable was that the Giants corners on the outside, how they're playing with their eyes and, and there's different DB and corner technique when you're man zone, but I'm not going to get into that, but they were very, onto the Eagles favorite RPOs and that's what because the Eagles were running kind of their greatest hits kind of game plan in that game they weren't kind of any funky designs but then they're showing their staples and the Giants had answers for those staples which I thought was super interesting um, that's why there's a lot of plays like they when I say those RPOs the one example I'm going to give is uh, they will run the ball they'll have AJ Brown as the lone out route the Bills run this the Chiefs will run this as a quick out route it's an advantage throw for the quarterback Oh, wow. The corner's playing off. All right. I'm just going to rip it out, get an eight-yard gain. Boom. Let's move on. The Giants' corners were aware of those. They were very – how their eyes were playing. You can even tell. Dable was 
I loved watching Dable during this game on the sideline. It was hilarious. I tweeted a couple of videos of him. This dude was, he knew he was playing a bunch of backups. So he's trying to amp up his team. It's really cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Like he, he knew what they were going. It was some backup corner. He's high five and them. It, it was awesome. But I, it just spoke to me that that's how they were coaching these guys game plan wise. So now they have better players doing it. So that, I think that is interesting. Um, the other thing too is that, uh, the Giants were challenging. Like I said, I do think though is the one advantage you can get against this Giants defense is you can run the ball on them. Uh, either yeah. QB designed runs or just straight running the ball. They're the worst rushing defense by DVOA. I know we're supposed to be trying to building how they can get after them, but that's that's very. It's it's important to bring up. It's, it's very, very important. important to bring Especially up. Especially when that's the easy button for some offenses, and the Eagles are willing to run the ball. Uh, they're terrible. Really, they're, maybe they're the most efficient running game in the league. Like this yeah. is strength on weakness. It's a the huge part weakness. of the game. It, it is. And QB design runs on top of it. 17 of the 21 QB design runs that the Giants have faced this year were successful for the offense, which is not what you want. Um, I do think that some of the plays that they showed in that week 18 matchup, the Eagles were doing unbalanced looks and that was having a lot of success because if you get this Giants defense into base defense, they're not very good. The Vikings torched them last week, getting in 21 and getting it. Eagles will use the tight ends a little bit. They want their receivers out there, but they're doing unbalanced lines and running counter plays. I think they lean into that a little bit more, making this defense communicate, especially if they want to be aggressive, because that breaks rules for the defense or it makes them communicate. At least I should say breaks rules, but makes them check their rules and go like, hey, what's our day one install rule? Oh, we're, we're supposed to shift this, right? Okay. But if you have a bunch of bodies that are out there not used to it, that is one advantage the Seagulls offense can have. Hertz had seven carries for 77 yards in the week 14 game. And even that is thrown off because he had like a three yard touchdown. So that doesn't even speak to how efficient they were running the football with him. They were really trying to get the ball on the perimeter with him. They Mm -hmm. were lined up in 12 personnel, bringing a tight end across formation, kind of leading up on the corner. So getting them in heavy personnel, condensing formations, and then trying to get quarterback runs on the perimeter, they were having a lot of success doing that. So I assume they will do that again. I'm guessing that the Eagles will be able to run the ball on the Giants. I think they will have some success doing that. I do think that there is... A world there is a timeline where the Giants can slow them down throwing the football. Yes. So the Giants have blitzed on over fifty percent of Jalen Hurts' dropbacks in both of these games. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, such we, an out- it's such an missed, outrageous number, guys. Like that's we I missed out on Wink last week. Where we get we're getting Wink back this yeah, week. Yeah, Wink is back. He doesn't have to worry about Justin Jefferson anymore. Yeah, I just want to tell people like when you're game planning a defense, you're expecting about ten to maybe twelve blitzes in a game. You know, give, give or take. With a Wink the defense, twenty five percent. Yeah, with a Wink defense, that's thirty. That's twenty five to thirty five plays that you're expecting against a blitz that's ridiculous that's what that's why i want to emphasize again when you're going against a weak martindale defense 35 percent success rate for jalen hurts on those blitzes according to next gen stats so i think worth pointing out yeah the one step further than that the number i found really interesting when they played them in week 14 the giants played man on over half of their blitzes they had four covers i think they had three cover zero snaps they played cover one a lot behind it and Hertz has been anecdotally, I was like, he seems like he's been pretty good against the blitz when teams play man behind it. And mm-hmm. he has easy answers in the second matchup. They were playing more zone behind those blitzes and Hertz struggled a little bit. Yeah. It's like, I wonder what the numbers say about that among the 32 quarterbacks in the NFL this season with at least 250 pass attempts. It's a nice 32 is a great round number. Perfect. Jalen Hurts ranks 31st in the NFL in EPA per dropback against zone blitzes. That's 
It's crazy, he ranks man. second in EPA per drop back against blitzes with man behind it. That's... So he's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league against man blitzes and one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the league against zone blitzes. He's taken 10 sacks on 99 fire zones this year. Wow. It's almost 10% right. Wow. Almost 10%. So making him work and yeah. not giving him the answers to the test while yep. also bringing pressure, that feels like what I would try to tap into if I were the Giants. Absolutely. Because anecdotally, it makes sense yep. and the numbers bear it out. Zone coverage is always making the quarterbacks work for it because there's when when you go man, most concepts have a man answer. So you just go there inside slot, you know, slot fade, a crosser, a slant, or just your best matchup. You know, that's why man coverage. You see a lot of quarterbacks, and this is why I make fun of it sometimes, like Russell Wilson this year. If he was getting blitz, he's throwing a slot fade or a go ball to Jerry Judy. That <laughs> that was his answer. And it makes yes, if you have players and you have a quarterback nailing it, it it's probably really annoying for a defense, but when you have guys not always like when you're just giving them the, I don't want to do that against AJ Brown, and Devonte Smith. Like I, no. I don't want to live in that world, but making him work. Cause when you're, it's a zone pressure, you I, I've referred to this before. It's like a trap defense. You're replacing the pressure. That is the token rule for an, a quarterback. Where's the blitz coming from? It's the slot. I'm going to throw it to the slot because they, the defense has to figure out a way to uh, get a body out there in some way, shape or form. But if a quarterback is not seeing it that way, or he doesn't, read the game that way. Jalen Hurts doesn't handle protections for the Eagles offense. That's fine. Half the quarterbacks in the league don't. He He's a Hall of ha- Fame center. It's okay. Right. Jason Kelsey handles a lot <laughs> and he makes that thing go. But that's the thing is if you're not handling the protection and you're just setting it, forgetting it and just getting in your squatty and squatty position and asking for the ball, you're not going to know where the weakness is sometimes. You're not going to know, oh shoot, this guy's pressuring. This is why we changed the running back to go over there. So that's why that's significant. And for a guy like Wink Martindale, who has every blitz under the sun in his playbook, curious if he leans into that a little bit. One thing to mention, that it seems like Lane Johnson, no injury designation. Even with the groin, he is good to go. He was a full practice participant on Thursday. So nice to see their offensive line back at full strength. It would have been a real bummer if he had missed these games Absolutely. based on what the Giants offensive looked like or Eagles offensive looked like all season. Also, to sound like a broken record, sorry, real quick. I just I realized I wrote this down. Was, uh, the Eagles running backs aren't great in protection either. Another thing to to note, but that that matters. The, the, every guy has a magnifying glass on them. Every weakness in the playoffs, especially as the deeper we go, it, it's these guys are going to get picked and prodded because they coaches and everything don't care. They're just going to wail away on it until you answer it. So that's another thing to watch out for. All right, number one thing you're looking for when the Giants have the ball. <sighs> stop me if speaking of broken records. Stop me if you heard this before. But Daniel Jones, the runner. Like you, you, let's get those <laughs> hamstrings stretched. Let's get the groin stretched, the quad stretched. Get ready, buddy. Uh, the Eagles defense versus QB scrambles. They're, they've given up the second most EPA to QB scrambles. Uh, eighth most scrambles total, uh, but a 30% success rate. That's 28th in the league. Uh, they versus QB design runs. 25 rushes, so about middle of the pack. 28% success rate is 29th in the league. And negative 0.54 EPA per rush against QB design runs for the defense. That's 29th in the NFL. That is, I you got it. We're talking about straight. I, I also want to say, I've been Kafka-pilled. Uh, I, 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 watching, this, <laughs> watching this Giants offense the last few weeks, I love it. I, the beauty and the simplicity of this offense. They don't overthink anything. Last week was uh, Vikings suck against play action. Let's run a bunch of play action. Let's get all these over routes. They suck against over routes. Let's, hey, Daniel Jones, one and done with your reads. If you're not, not open, start scrambling because they're terrible against scrambles. It worked. And I don't know. I like, I like what he's doing. It's nothing, not reinventing the wheel. 
There's a play they love. I've referred to it on the show where they put uh, Hodgins in the slot and they run uh, the one concept is called snag, which is a flat, an inside hitch in a corner. Uh, you've heard me talk about this play a couple of times, but the key part of the play is to the field. They have a slot choice route. Offenses run it, but they do it with Hodgins and it's just a gimme throw. A lot of second alongs, they'll run this, but again, they repeat it like six times in a game. There's coordinators that won't repeat any pass play calls in the entire game. I've seen them run this concept anecdotally 15 times in three weeks. <laughs> they, they, hey, it works. They're not defending it. It's a choice route. It's got answers. Duh. Let's just run it. But Eagles aren't great against slot, against slot looks. Like that's where you can get after them a little bit. Uh, where the Cowboys got after the Eagles was going into empty, and that's how they attacked the slot. Giants kind of suck out of empty, uh, passing the ball. They've only had two explosive plays of 84 empty snaps. This you entire, can't run play action on empty, buddy. You can't. I know. You have to actually drop back and make a decision. But I, I think the one look that they are good running the ball with the quarterback out of empty because Daniel Jones is a good runner. So I think there might be some RPOs with uh, Barkley into the flat, and I think they'll maybe get after it with them. Slot thing is a good time to bring up personnel considerations on that yes. side of the ball. CJ Gardner-Johnson likely going to be the slot player for the Eagles in the playoffs with Avante Maddox hurt. Obviously, he's had a ton of success as a slot before, but he, that's not what they wanted him to be coming into the season. Right. On the Saints, he could really muscle people in the slot. Here, not as much man coverage. Style play is a little bit different, so what they ask of him is going to be a little bit different. I'm wondering, is that a matchup where if the Giants use Richie James in the slot, who's just right. a change of direction kind of quickness-based player, is that something that they try to go after C.J. Gardner-Johnson in space? because they think that that's a matchup they can hit. I don't know. The answer may be no, but that's the <laughs> one area of the defense that's changed. So what yeah. can you try to do there? The other personnel thing to consider, Josh Sweat was a beast when these two teams played in mm-hmm. week 14, and he is back now. So that that was the biggest takeaway for me with the Giants offense against the Eagles defense in that game is they couldn't protect. Like right. The Eagles front, who's going to do this to a lot of people, got after them in a big way. That can't happen if they're going to have a chance in this game. No. But I totally agree with you on him using his legs as a scrambler, but also second reaction throws. Yeah. I think him getting outside the pocket, whether it's designed or whether it's just him improvising, is going to yeah. be big because this Eagles off Eagles defense is not going to give you the answers in the same way that the Vikings do. It's funny because on the surface, on a broader level, there's similarities between the Vikings offense or defense and the Eagles defense. Yes. It's a lot of, a lot of court, a lot of too high coverages, a lot of yep. zone, but they're very, very different. And this is the yep. stat I think that exemplifies it the best. The Vikings are 30th or were 30th in the NFL this year in EPA per drop back allowed against play action. They were 32nd dead last in net yards per attempt on play action. Yeah. The Eagles are number one in the league in EPA per drop back against play action. Their EPA is twice as high as the next best team, who is the Jets. That's insane. And so that number, and then you watch the week 14 game, every time that they tried to use play action, I think Daniel Jones was like eight of nine in the game, but it was for 30 yards. Right. There were no chunks to be had off play action. It was all underneath. Yeah. And then the other thing that they did last week against the Vikings, you talked about it, those big over routes where they're making you communicate in zone. If I'm sending a guy cross country, you're... I, you're going to have to pass him off. I'm going to yes. make you do it. The Vikings struggle with that. The Eagles do not. No, they the don't. Eagles are very, <laughs> very good at keeping track of crossing routes, both shallow crossing routes and crossing routes down the field. So those kind of easy buttons that the Giants could hit last week against the Vikings, 
those aren't going to be as available against the Eagles. So even if structurally the defense is the same, what they're good at is very different. So I think you're going to need some plays with your legs, second reaction throws, just stuff that exists outside of the structure or whatever plays you're going to have drawn up. Yeah, I, I think it, it's like going to be like a ball control offense <laughs> from the Giants. You know, they they understand what situation they're in. I think too is that you can get after the Eagles not only just with the quarterback run game, but just overall the run run defense yep. a little bit. Uh, they're twenty first in rushing DVOA and nineteenth in success rate. Um, the Giants have no qualms with running the ball with Saquon and and, and Matt Breida, like and finding. Those personnel looks, getting the jet motion on it, making trying to put the linebackers in a bind or at least make them communicate a little bit. Maybe going side to side uh, when the Eagles do get those heavier uh, front looks with all the the beef in the middle of Jordan Davis and all those guys in the middle. Um, but I think that's where you can also – I think Barkley is going to be targeted quite a bit as a receiver as well. You mentioned the checkdowns on the play action, but I just think overall uh, the Eagles are bottom 10 when defending running backs in the past game. And that one example I brought up with the empty, sending Saquon in motion with a, with a swing or a flat and just putting – making these guys communicate, making them uh, uh, put the overhang in a bind. I think that's the simplest way. If you are a talent Explain overhang. Uh, overhang is just the defender in between the offensive line and the receiver bunch out there. So if you're in a zone coverage, it's the guy that has to, he's, he has to also have a run fit in the box, but also has to have coverage responsibilities to the flat um, because usually the hook curl. Who is that typically? It's usually a linebacker. Uh, it could be the nickel uh, as well. It's going to be that linebacker out in space in between. Overhangs just the term for the quarterback. It's the guy. Can he make a tackle to the flat? That is what you're determining on these RP. What now people call RPOs. I used to call package plays. But can he make it? Can he tackle the guy in the flat? If he can, then I'm keeping the ball or handing off the ball. If he can't, then I'm throwing it. So that's the overhang defender. It depends on the coverage, which guy it is. But yeah, that's what you're reading, anyways, on those types of plays. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, who's your X factor in this game? My X factor is Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes, but uh, Danny it's cheap Dimes to pick the quarterback. That doesn't seem fair, but <laughs> not a, like a Pro Bowl or anything, you know. Like I will, uh, let, I will let you have this, but I don't feel good about it. If if you don't, if it's not the Pro Bowl for this, then it's actually the same discussion. It's Daniel Jones for the Giants, for the Eagles, it would be Miles Sanders uh, and and how their run game is. But either way, it's the run games for both teams. But I think Daniel Jones, the quarterback, this the unknown New York. Giants quarterback. No one's ever heard of him. No one's ever heard of a top 10 pick for a New York market. You've never heard of this guy. Really digging deep here, buddy. I appreciate really you. Really digging deep on it. If I had to go with some kind of like, 
I don't know, random dude to play Julian Love for for the Giants. Uh, that's another one for me. That uh, if you want to go a little under under the radar type of guy, but him, if they're going to be aggressive, he has to do a lot of work. You might have to cover Goddard. He might have to be running around. So I think that would be him if we had to go a little more niche. So I'm going to go a little niche. I'm going to say Fabian Moreau. I love it. Who's the number two corner for the Giants? And it's for this reason. It happened in Week 14. They're going to have to take some of those 50-50 shots down the field and they're because those opportunities are going to be there. If they're going to blitz, those opportunities down the field are going to be there. There were two of them in that Week 14 game that turned into huge gains. There was the slot fade to Devontae Smith. That was the outstretch catch that he made right before Julian Love, speaking of, mm-hmm. was getting over there, and it was a touchdown. And then there was the deep shot outside the numbers to A.J. Brown on the left side. That came against Nick McLeod, okay? Yeah. Fabian Moreau is going to be in that position very likely against Devontae Smith at least once in this game. That the Eagles take those shots. Right. What if there are four 50-50 shots outside the numbers taken in this game? What percentage of them are successful for the Eagles? If it's zero, I think that the Giants have a shot. Right. And I think that Fabian Moreau will have, play a huge role in what that number ends up being. Because I assume they're going to take those at him rather than at a Dory Jackson, who's likely going to be on AJ Brown. Right. And when the commanders beat the Eagles, that's what it was. Those coin flips didn't work out. For, for We talked about 50-50 balls, and we talked about the two Washington commander matchups for the Eagles. One was Devontae Smith dunking on guys, and then the second time, those plays didn't work out for him. And that was a loss. It ended up being a loss for the Eagles. But I agree. I, I come to, Moreau's a great one. Uh, just coming down to those co- kind of coin flip plays, not like lucky plays, but really one-on-one Anything can happen, type of plays. My and, guys are my, my. I'm better than you. My yes. guys are better than your guys' plays. Yes. The Eagles have excelled at those this season. Yes. So, do that's they right. win decidedly on those plays again? I think yes. it's a huge question. Decidedly, that's a good way. It, that's a good way to put it. If it's just one, okay, that's not bad. But if it's three of them, four of them, okay, shoot, <laughs> we, we're gonna have a tough day. Because even if you're playing zone behind those blitzes, if it's cover three. Those are one-on-one matchups. Like you still have, you can still take those shots if you're yep. the Eagles. So how those end up playing out, I think, will go a long way. All right, what do you think happens in this one? I think this game's a rock fight. I, I think both teams are going to be running the ball. I my score my score I think prediction. It's close. I yeah, my score prediction is twenty to ten Eagles. But I I think that's maybe a late pull away. I think this this game's going to be a fist fight. Uh, uh, there's that new like slap battle league. That's what this game feels like to me. Just like the guys, two teams just slapping each other with their run games and maybe a couple big plays. So when I say it's going to be close, I just mean that I think it's going to be low score. That, yes. that, that's what I meant. If I could make one bet in this game, and I, I'm sorry to everyone who's going to lose money on this, the over-under is 48. I think it's lower scoring than that. I, I think, think so that too. both of these teams have stretches where they struggle to move the ball a little bit. I think that the Giants defense, again, is the best version of the Giants defense that we've seen in yep. terms of personnel the entire season. I don't think that's an overstatement. So I think the Eagles still win. I think the Eagles just are the most talented team in mm-hmm. the NFC top to bottom. Probably when you look at all 22 spots, I think that they've been really good all year. It's easy to forget that when they've had some late season right. struggles, but this team ran rough shot over most of the conference for most of the season. And I think that yeah. they still win this game, but I do think it's lower scoring than that over under might indicate. That's kind of how it is. The is Eagles talent wins out in the end, but the giants have done such a great job this year is, Getting everyone into the muck with them. That's what the, that's yeah. what they they want. This they want it as ugly and as really as quick of a game as possible <laughs> with a run of the ball and everything. It, it's that's what they want to do. Not give you chances. Like make and then make it up to. We talk about coin flips. That's what the Giants want to do. They want to make it 
basically they know they have a talent deficiency. Let's make it to five plays and it's hopefully we can win three of them and make that the game and make that make that that's how we can be victorious. All right. That's all we got for Saturday. If you guys are listening to this, the Sunday preview should be available in your podcast feed. A reminder, we will be doing live recap shows on Saturday night after these games and on Sunday night. So if you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel to watch those, please go subscribe. We will be doing that live after the games. Come hang out with us. You know you want to. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do that at theathletic.com slash football show where you can read all of our wonderful NFL coverage. We will be back with the Sunday show right now. So go listen to that if you haven't. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.